splendid. Um, it was the resurrection of Jesus in all sorts of ways that triggered uh, the story that we've been looking at over the last uh, month or two uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, it was Jesus coming back to life, uh, appearing to the disciples, uh, revealing to them uh, that his was a, a kingdom uh, that would be everlasting because he'd risen. Uh, and we're, we're seeing a little bit more of that story now. We're going to look at, uh, at Acts chapter 8. Uh, we're going to hear two chunks, um, and Jane is going to come and read the first part of that for us from Acts chapter 8. Thank you. Yes, Acts chapter 8, found on page 1101 in the Church Bible. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man rightly is called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive this Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing that you've said may happen to me. 
After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Uh, not everyone will know Graham, and I, and I failed to say Graham is going to be preaching for us. Graham, come and join me at the front. Um, Graham is, uh, is going to be preaching for us today from uh, Acts. Um, Graham, some know you, some don't. Um, you, sort of various hats that you wear. One is director of Cambridge United Football Club. Yeah, well, I'll admit it now, because we had a good season. Normally, I pretend it's not me, but yeah, yes, I am. Good. Okay, well, we're, we're mid-table. Yes, mid-table. perfect. Um, and um, and the, another thing you do, um, is that you director as well for Christians in Sport? What's your title there now? Something like that. Something like that, okay. Um, this organisation, Christians in Sport, um, j- just give us a flavour of... Um, well, I mean, okay, two bits to that. Sport, how did you... How come you have something to do with sport? Well, well, I guess I could describe it really by answering that question and, and covering both of those. Um, I was a sporty kid uh, growing up in Wales, so that's just it. I was a sporty kid. I spent all my spare time playing, and that was it, and that's the end of it. And I suppose it's been like that all my life, effectively. Um, so Christians in sport, the name pretty much describes it. Um, there wasn't a Christians in sport when this story happened that I'm about to tell you, but as a 15-year-old boy in year 10 at school, uh, one day our school cricket team was short, last minute, and uh, a boy in year 13 who was the best athlete at school came to my classroom to get me to go and get my stuff, and off I went with the team. Um, it was a long trip, Cardiff, 50 miles from home. Uh, I made up the numbers, and we played the game. On the way back, it was a Monday, uh, he scored... Um, sorry, he, he, he was a very good player, and on the Monday, he said to me, what did you do Saturday, Graham? Obviously, I had no one to talk to on the bus. And uh, I said, play cricket Saturday, nothing Sunday, because in the 70s in Wales, nothing happened at all on Sunday. Um, and to be polite, I said, what did you do Sunday? And he said, oh, uh, the weekend, he said, I went to church Saturday. I went to church, and uh, sorry, I played cricket Saturday, I went to church Sunday. I was quite shocked that uh, the best athlete in school, cool, a uh, real leader, bit of a beard, man, uh, <laughs> that uh, he'd, play, he'd gone to church. I didn't know anyone who went to church. And so I said, why did you go to church? And he said, well, and he coloured up a bit. He said, because I followed Jesus. He actually stumbled it out. Uh, I said to myself, 45 miles to go. <laughs> Christians in sport equals a stuttering 18-year-old telling a 15-year-old who was sports mad who sort of hero-worshipped this guy, even the most hopeless effort in his mind to talk about Jesus. And as a result of that, in my early 20s, when I moved from Cardiff to here to live and play, uh, I followed Jesus too. So the gap, so five, six years between that first conversation Mm, mm, and this mm, sort mm. of superhero in the school turning out to be a Christian um, and you, something in that conversation left you... Yeah, I watched him. I watched him. I I played in the same team before I left home. Um, Look, it's a silly way to put it, but he was very good at being normal. (laughs) 
No, I mean, he really was. He, he was competitive. He wanted to win. He got things wrong. He said, sorry. I remember him apologizing for, for getting cross with somebody once. Never heard anyone apologize when you're playing. But he was still a winner. So I watched a Christian as well as thinking as time went by about Christian faith. I watched but still, for you, five or six years before arriving no. at a decision about, about the he, Christian faith for yourself? He, yes. He, he used to write, you know, and you, the only way he could write was to write a letter. He used to write. Um, I, I did philosophy as an undergrad, really, so I could play football every day because there were only four lectures a week. <laughs> no, no, I really did. I, I really did. I used to play for Cardiff City, and I, used to, I, I just chose something that I could not do any lectures. On. And, but interestingly, God... In hindsight, you look back, God used that because I'd never done anything like that. There's a lot of cynicism in contemporary thought about things of God, and it sort of actually sent me the other way of my thinking. So that whole amalgam meant that having moved here to live and play football, I knew I had to be a Christian. Hmm. So we are to think of you something as a sort of forerunner of Cantona, the sort of footballing philosopher. Is that, is that That's sort it. Of... I know. I've never thought of that. <laughs> Couldn't I just be as good a player as Cantona? <laughs> Who cares about no. the philosopher? That, that, that ship has sailed. Right? Yeah, it's long gone. Uh, uh, do take a seat. <laughs> uh, in all sorts of ways now, we're going to read an account uh, of a man who came to behold uh, Jesus in an unusually, un unlikely encounter. Jane's going to come and read the next part of Acts chapter 8. So, in the church Bibles, on page one one. 01, Acts chapter 8. 1101. And we're going to start at verse 26 of chapter 8. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself? or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, 
they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Thanks, Jane. Uh, when Steve was asking me a question about Christians in sport, um, uh, it made me think that on that incident, an incident that Steve was asking about, um, some six or seven years later, I met the father of that young man who had told me he was a Christian on the way to a game on a May Monday, aged 18. And here's what I heard from his dad about that event when he colored up and said, I follow Jesus. Here's what I heard about it seven years later. Uh, his dad said, he came home that night from a game, that Monday night, and, and his dad said, uh, how was the game? He said, yeah, it was all right, dad. He said, oh, not so good today. Get any runs? He said, 90, which if you don't like cricket, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> get any wickets? And they're five. He said, oh, it doesn't sound like it was a good game, and yet, and he said, what's the matter? His dad was a Christian. He said, uh, well, you know, yesterday at church, somebody talked about just saying something about being a Christian, people finding out you're a Christian. He said, well, I've, I've never, ever shown that I'm a Christian to anybody, and, and I've never said anything about it or shown anything, and I, determined, I decided I would do it this week. He said, and then this boy was chosen because we were short of players, and he came with us, and I sat with him, and I tried. Dad, I really screwed it up. I mean, I really screwed it up. What a mess I made of it. I'm never doing it again. Uh, I think that was probably about 1976 or something. Good afternoon. Uh, I was on the receiving end. The reason I, I bring that illustration here is that as we look at this story, and we can't do the whole of Acts 8, obviously, because of the time here, but we will look at this story of Philip from 26 to 40. So have a look at that, and we'll walk through it. I think there are three main characters in the story, and the reason I, I retell that tale is that the first character is God in this story. It's God, Philip, and the Ethiopian guy. And I put God in because underpinning the whole of this book called the Acts of the Apostles, it's called that, but really we might call it the Acts of the Spirit through the Apostles, or indeed the Acts of God, <laughs> uh, because God is Spirit, is the Spirit. Uh, God is at work, and there are lots of stories of people becoming a Christian in this book, and if you're thinking of becoming a Christian today, maybe this man's particular story is pertinent to you. You've been a Christian forever, really, years and years and years and years. I hope he's a great encouragement to you. To start with this, God's in charge of the whole show, not my friend at cricket. Uh, but God does use Philip, who's willing to say something about the message of Jesus, to help people understand who God is, somebody they can relate to and hear the Bible from. Uh, and therefore, finally, it's the Ethiopian, the African guy, who's the first African convert that we read of, uh, who's searching for purpose and understanding of God. And of course, that could be you as you sit here today. 
thinking that through. So they're the characters in mind, and let's walk through the story uh, and see what we find now. The book of Acts starts with Jesus promising that the leaders of Christianity and the members of the church in Jerusalem will be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's like God sets the mandate, right? Jesus is going back to heaven. Here's what's going to happen next. In the city that you live in, people will meet me. And then further afield in the countries of your enemies, really, like Samaria, People will find out about Jesus there, and they'll come into a relationship with God. And then it'll go to the ends of the earth, to Cambridge in 2022. I mean, this is going everywhere. This is my plan, says God. This is what's going to happen. And what actually happens before this chapter, in chapters 2 to 7, is that they don't get out of Jerusalem at all. They stay in the city that they live in. In fact, they don't get out of the city with the message of Jesus until one of the key members of the church in Jerusalem is killed in the seventh chapter. He's murdered for sharing the Christian message. He's the first Christian martyr. He's called Stephen. And chapter 8, if you can see it there, begins like this when Stephen died. Verse 1 of chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Note the words. Jerusalem. And all except the apostles, the leaders who stayed, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So the whole point of this is God says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. That's the plan. Let's do it. As soon as there's persecution, they have to leave the city and they go to Judea and Samaria. They're scattered. And in the story we read today, they're going to the ends of the earth because the first African convert, the ends of the earth... In that culture and time, that would have been the ends of the earth going south. So we're meant to read this story and go, wowzers, God is on it. And Steve said at the beginning uh, in our first song, holy, God is holy. In other words, he's not us. He's in charge of the whole thing. He's so much bigger than us. I mean, can't even compare. He has it. He has your life in his hands and mine. You might have been to church all your life. And on a Sunday, it's good. You come to remember, he's got me. I'm his. He's mine. You might be here for the first time or the first time for years and years. And you meant to hear that today in the songs and the prayers and the Bible reading. God's got this. Whatever you came in with today, he's got it. He's real. He's alive. You're not here by mistake. That's how he operates. We're not in charge. He's the one who runs it, even to the point where when they didn't leave Jerusalem, murderous persecution and people going from house to house. Look at verse 3. Going from house to house. A wicked man called Saul dragged people from their homes. So they had to run. And they ended up in Samaria. Verse 4 of chapter 8, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And here's where we flip to Philip. The first main character here is God. And I don't know how you feel or where you're at in life, of course, today, but forgive the subjectivity of this, but what a relief to know 
that the world depends on the great God of the universe and not on me to make it work. What a weight of your shoulders that is. And yet, as we come to our second character, we see that God uses people like my blushing friend, people like you and me, who pass the message along, and off it goes, down and down through history. When vulnerable, fallible people like you and I believe God has a plan. So let's look at Philip now, and let's see how this boy operates. So we're coming into the story of Philip himself. Verse 5 of chapter 8, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and, and proclaimed the Messiah there. Look at verse 8 of chapter 8, there was great joy in that city. We first meet Philip in chapter 6, when there are so many new Christians in Jerusalem, when they're all there, no one's been killed yet, so many Christians there, they have to set up a food bank because so many people have come to Christ that they need to find a way to build a food bank to feed them because of the, what they face for being a Christian. Philip ran the food bank with his mate Stephen. Seven people were chosen to lead the food bank. They weren't the leaders. They weren't the pastors. They weren't the Bible teachers. They were the volunteers in the food bank. Stephen was killed in chapter 7. He was the first one down. He was killed. Philip's probably glad he wasn't the first man on the list. He's number two. Uh, he has to leave and go to Samaria, which are sworn enemies. They hate each other, the Jews and the Samaritans. Enemies. And they have to flee their homes, run. And this boy ends up in Samaria, and he starts talking about Jesus to enemies. He's not the trained speaker. Somehow, I guess, he trusts God in charge of everything, even when it's really rubbish. He's trusting God, and he's gone to Samaria. He has no option but to go there when he gets there. He starts bringing good news to people amongst whom he lives, or maybe goes to college or whatever he was doing. And he's probably just got settled in, and then we get to verse 26. It probably made this massive adjustment from his home for life to living amongst his enemies, scared to go back, like a Ukrainian. We have next-door neighbors Ukrainians. They've lost their, house, their flat, their apartment's gone. They've got three kids. Their parents are still there. They're scared to death for them. Incredible people. We live right next door, apartment next door. You see it in front of your eyes today. How, how do you live in this? And then, look what happens now, 26. God's in charge again, an angel of the Lord. That's unusual, right? This is miraculous. God's running the show here. This doesn't happen every day. Somehow God intervenes and says to Philip, Philip, um, do you mind going uh, on the road south into the desert? It's 60 miles from Jerusalem to Gaza. I know you've headed north for Samaria. I know it's been tough, son, but uh, I just need you to head south <laughs> into the desert where nobody goes. Any chance? It doesn't say what he said. <laughs> Anyway, off he goes. We're about to see. The book of Acts starts with the gospel will go. The good news of Jesus, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And we're about to see the first African co convert. It's a great story. Let's see how Philip and the Ethiopian get on. This is the last part of our story, but it's slightly the longest. Here we go. Verse 27. So Philip started out. All right, I'm on. I'll go. And on his way, 
he met an Ethiopian eunuch, I'll explain in a moment, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandaki, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet from the Jewish scriptures. So what do we know? Well, immediately we know he was a powerful man, uh, look in charge of the treasury of the royal family, so perhaps the chancellor, that kind of thing. Uh, he's reading, so he's an educated man, because you would have to be to read. He's obviously powerful, educated, and, and rich. As we'll see in a moment, he can afford to buy the scroll of Isaiah, which even latterly, in modern era, where it was divided into chapters and verses, uh, it's uh, way into the 60s of chapters. It was a long piece of work, and it would be handwritten, so you couldn't just go to Amazon and, and get the book. You'd, you'd spend a lot of money, and you had to choose the right piece to scroll up and carry and roll out. So he's had to do some work to get this particular scroll in his hands, and we'll see why in a minute. So this is who he is, and we don't know why, because it's not jumping on EasyJet or on the train. Uh, it's a hike from northern Sudan, as it actually would be today, uh, to there, to Jerusalem. It's a hike. It's months, not hours. It's a long trip. He's had to take some annual leave to do this, if he's the chancellor. We don't know why he's allured to the, to the Jewish faith, but he is. He's allured to God, and he goes. Now the story, you, I'll try and make it interesting. It is interesting. I may not be, but the story is interesting. So, have a go at this with me. Here's what happens next, and this is what really the, we're meant to see in this. 29, the Spirit said to Philip, here's God acted again to the ends of the earth, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? Now, this is absurd, right? It's a chariot. It's not Ben-Hur. You know, they're going slow. It's a long trip through the desert, on the de bumpy desert road. So, you know, it's not flying along. Nevertheless, you know, your man Philip's going, right, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm here now. It's taking me a few days to get you. Right, what do you want? He says, see that, see that, lad? see that there? Avanti. <laughs> Top off, bit of a sweat on, <laughs> hoping he's wearing shorts, covering his head, sun cream. Uh, he's in the desert. He's <laughs> jogging along. Stay near it, 29. He goes to the chariot, the bloke's reading Isaiah the prophet. Obviously, you ask, how does he know he's reading Isaiah the prophet? Because he, oh, <laughs> he's having a little look. What's going on? Anyway, very kindly, the man, um, he, and he, say, he says, uh, what are you reading? Now, this bloke, obviously, you're thinking now, he's thinking, what a nutter this one is, like, you know, running along. But of course, he has God at work. It's God's plan. God's got it. You hear this morning? Hey, if you've been loads of times to church, don't take this for granted. There's thousands of people in this city not in a church today. You're here. What do you want to be here for? There's a drawing. There's an allurement. There's a love. There's a joy. There's a purpose. Even if you still haven't trusted Christ and you're thinking, what's this all about? You're here because you're going, your mom and dad bring you, or a friend brings you, or a neighbor brings you, but you're here because you're going, is this for me? Well, this lad's on his way to Jerusalem to find out, and Philip's God's man to meet him. Class, isn't it? It's just class how it works. You know, it could be for you, it was your gran, if you're a Christian, your, your mom, your dad, your, your youth leader, your friend, your neighbor, but you're here, you see. And if you came as a guest today, somebody said, do you want to come? 
God's got it, and he's got Philips and Philippus all over the world if you're a Christian. So here they are then in the conversation. Happily, uh, the fellow says, jump in, 31. Uh, how can I? How can I understand this thing I'm reading unless somebody explains it to me? So he said to Philip, uh, come and sit with me. Thank goodness. Uh, then he's got the scroll, and he's literally just read these lines. This is class. Now watch this. L look at it with me. He's just read these lines in 32. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. That's what's on the scroll in front of his eyes right now as Philip sits down. And he says to Philip, who is this, 34? Philip, who is this? Who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Right, we're, we're right in it now. If, thanks for sticking with this. We're right in it now. Get this, and, and I think we've got what's going on in this story, really going on in this man's life, his life. Because there's lots of people involved in the church over thousands, 2,000 years. But everybody's unique, and everybody needs dealing with differently, right? We're different. Now, come on, let's watch this. Let's see inside this man. Let's get a window into his soul here. Here he is. So many times I've read the word eunuch, haven't I? It's a funny old word. Um, look, you'll ex explain it to a friend, because I can't do much more than say this. He was castrated. Just whisper to somebody if there's any doubts about that, because I don't want to say it from the front. But, but that's who he is. Now, you might think, what? Why would that happen? Why? Why? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't unusual if you were a high-ranking official in an imperial court where the king had lots of uh, wives. In this culture, it would not be unusual whatsoever for a high-ranking male official not to be able to get in any relationship going with a woman at the court. It's not unusual. It's the price of getting high office. That's the context in which we're reading this. And there's an Old Testament story of Esther where you, you, you read of a similar scenario. So that's his life. He's castrated. But something is driving him to go a long, long way to a foreign culture because he knows something about a God and he wants to know God. We're not told how or why, but he's on his way. And when he gets there, the moment he'd have got off that chariot and gone to the temple in Jerusalem, they'd have seen a black guy, an Ethiopian guy. They'd have seen somebody. They may have asked him some questions. He, he works for the queen. They know he's an imperial officer. And somehow they must know or find out or deduce that he is castrated. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy 23, in the law of God, no one who has been emasculated, castrated, by, castrate, by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Somebody would have said to him, you can't come into this temple. You're not clean enough. What's happened to you? doesn't matter how good a guy you are. Because of that, 
You're not clean enough to come into the place of God. We don't know anything else of the story at all. We can make a fine guess, according to commentators, that the reason he took this particular scroll, and there had been scores of scrolls of this prophet Isaiah, if you wanted to read the story, the odds are he took the piece he's got that he just read from to ask for help with from the 50s as we know them in Isaiah because, I'll read it to you, stick with me, these words are electric for this man's life. In Isaiah 56, shortly after the Biddy's readings, probably read it and read it and read it in the 50s, and in the 56 chapters we read it today, it says this to liberate the castrated man. A day is coming when no matter if you're a castrated male, no matter, there's a way out to a relationship with God. I read it word for word, 56, 3 to 5. Let no foreigner, that's him, who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. He's a foreigner. He can't come into the temple. Second, and let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. Listen to this promise. To your man sitting in the chariot, sent away, but somebody has said to him, but there is hope for somebody like you. The Bible promises hope for you. What's the promise? To the castrated I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. This man will never have his own children. And Isaiah says to him, there's something so much even better than that coming your way. Somebody's going to come who's going to give somebody who doesn't know what comes after them the greatest future imaginable. A day is coming when that's going to be possible. Greater name than your own sons and daughters even. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Right, let's do it in ordinary English. Jump in. Listen, I've just read this thing. Who's this about? Well, what are you doing? Well, see what happened. Was I went to the temple and she can't come in here because you're castrated. And God can't have that. But then I got talking to somebody. Somebody said, well, that is true because that's unclean. But you know what, mate? I mean, listen, if any of us stand before God, we're unclean. Who's got a chance? What did you get up to last week, I ask you? Don't answer. What were you thinking yesterday? Don't answer. Who's clean before God? Nobody. So somehow somebody says, but there is a promise for somebody like you that you could be clean and your name could endure forever. Well, what is it? What do you mean? He might have said, and they said, don't know, but Isaiah says it. And he went off to the bookshop. He had probably got to be back for manual leave. He's probably got a big conference. So you can bookshop. Wedge, load of money, buys the scroll, gets the scroll, jumps on the chariot, off he goes, he's reading. Then some nutters going, hello. Ah, <laughs> oh, he says, brilliant timing by you, mate. He says, I'm just reading this thing. Right, I've got this scroll here, and somebody told me about that I, God could accept me, but they said he couldn't just yet because I was a foreigner and a eunuch. And, but there was a chance one day, is it something to do with a guy who's going to suffer? Philip's going, 
I've just seen my best mate killed in Jerusalem. I've just had a flee with my family as refugees to Samaria. We went to Samaria. I said something about Jesus. People started to meet him. I had a prompting that I'd go down to the desert. I've jumped. This fella's there. I've met this fella, and he wants to be a Christian, but he doesn't even know it. This is how it works. <laughs> this is how it works. It's not the blushing idiot who can't get two words out of his mouth. I'm that blushing idiot, aren't you? It's God's work. He's magnificent. And he just says, who belongs to me? Get on the road. On the Gaza road. Go to town. Go to work. Chat to your neighbor. Be normal. Be good at being normal. Let me go. That's what happens here. It's magnificent. The gospel goes to the ends of the earth like this. That's what's happening here. And it's about Jesus. And that's why 34 and 35, let me repeat them again. God is at work here. The eunuch says to Philip, tell me please who is the prophet talking about himself or somebody else. Then Philip takes that passage and he talks about Jesus. Time would prevent us. But if you go back, that's verses 7 and 8 of Isaiah 53. If you read the first seven verses, they are brilliant. And he's just read them like two minutes before he sees the lad jumping up and down by his chariot. Oh, no, I've got to read some of them. Look, look, look what he's read before the bits that he, he literally said. I'm just reading this. Who is this? Look at the few lines before it. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised by he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. He was held in low esteem, but he took our pain and bore our suffering, considered him punished by God, stricken by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And then you get the lines that he was just reading now. And he goes, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? I came to Christ just this morning because I, there's something going on here that's bigger than me. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with it. And can I come in? Can I belong to God? Can I have a chance here? And the answer is yes. Because here's the bottom line. Like the Ethiopian Union guy, come on. Nobody can put their hand up. It's ridiculous. It's, it's washing, you know, your dirty washing in public. But just think of the mess-ups we make. Think of the things you've thought or done in the last month. Think of what you might do next week, this rubbish. The way into Christianity is the way on. The way you start is the way it goes on. No one's ever good enough. No one's ever good enough. Can I say it about 20 times in one go? No one's ever good enough. You never were. You never can be. Except one, except one, the one who came from heaven, who lived perfectly, could never be exposed for his failures, will never be judged for his thoughts or deeds or words, can never be found out as a cheat. Jesus. And when he suffers on that cross, he dies there, and in that very death, God says to us, He's done it for you. What shall I do? What do you want from me? No, 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 no. He's done it for you. 
okay, what's the deal? No deal from you. And you know if you're a Christian, don't you? Excuse me if you're listening in on this. Spend the rest of your life every now and again regularly going, yeah, what have I got to do now? Yeah, yeah, but I better do something. Oh, I was bad yesterday. I better make it up today so God can talk to me. Go, no, you fool. That's not the gospel. You can't achieve this. You receive it. It's not achieved. And that's what he explains to the man in the chariot. No wonder, no wonder, there it is, look, 39. Sorry, 36, as they traveled along, they came to some water. He's obviously explained that baptism is a symbol of receiving the gift of new life, forgiveness. Jesus pays. You don't deserve it. Being a eunuch won't matter anymore. You have a thing that lasts forever when you meet Jesus and you have a relationship with God. And he's obviously talked about baptism somehow because the fella says, look, there's water there. Let me be baptized then. By the way, another little miracle because we're in the desert. God's got it, hasn't he? Who's surprised at that now? And he gave orders to the chariot to stop the chariot. Then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, there's God at it again, took Philip away, and uh, the lad didn't see him again. Oh, don't you love that word? But he went on his way. Do you see it at the end of 39, rejoicing? I'm so blooming miserable sometimes, isn't it? That you think, oh, it's good to come to church. You know, if you're visiting today, just good to come. Do something you wouldn't do in everyday life, isn't it? Sit quietly for an hour, put your phone off, say your prayers, listen to the Bible, sing together. It's big enough here that you can sing even if you've got a rubbish voice and you can sort of let it out. You just go, oh, joy. Let me go out into the week with renewed joy that I am loved by the creator of the universe who had a purpose and came after me and put people in my path in my life and came into my life and helped me to see that I needed a savior and he was the provision and I've got life. Oh, I know it's tough, but I've got a personal savior. Not my friends, not my parents, mine. My friend, Jesus. And so he went with joy and the gospel had gone from Jerusalem to Samaria, to northern Sudan, and it was on its way across the world. Because God was in charge, and Philip was up for it, and there's always people who in their hearts know they've got to be right with God. You or I, if we're a Christian, never provide that. God builds his church. He just builds his church. Through the blushing 18-year-old, he just builds his church. That's how he does it. Yay. Oh, by the way, Philip cracks on. Can you see that in the last slide? He's a lad, Philip. Azotus is about 30 miles to the north on the Gaza road, so he doesn't go back to Jerusalem. He thinks, well, I'll crack on to Azotus and see what's going on there. And then it's about 80 miles uh, from Gaza to Caesarea. And he's like, well, as well as see what happens there. Who knows? <laughs> uh, he's a lad, him. Of course he cracked on. Well, how do we wrap then uh, so we can get to lunch? God's in charge. Uh, oh, we, we don't like it. We like to control everything. Like be the boss, don't you? You know, you know how it is, loud or quiet, but you're not. Whether you follow Jesus or not, whether you're right with God or not, you're not the boss. You can't control it. He controls it. He's got it. And he's good. He's a lion and a lamb. Do you, do you like that last song? That? Tough, hard as nails. Strong, scary, but gentle as a lamb. 
what a God that is. What a friend he is. God's in charge. Secondly, Philip, the displaced refugee who was chosen to run the food bank, not to be the preacher. Uh, Philip's the man who reaches the first convert in Africa. Isn't that great, though? <laughs> Just great. Foolish Philip jumping up and down. He's the man. He just was there at the very right moment where he could explain the Bible. He could just explain the Bible about that. That's why we come to church, see? Come to church to hear the Bible taught so that we get an understanding of how the whole message fits together so that when the moment comes, you can say something that is remotely helpful because you pointed God's word. And somebody goes, that's it? That's what I needed to hear? You won't have to manufacture those things. But it's good to know God's word, isn't it? That's why we meet together. And finally, uh, there goes the gospel into Africa. I did a little spec. Uh, 2020, Christians formed 49% of the African continent. 2021, uh, there were about 685 million Christians in Africa. In Latin America, the second biggest population, population 601 million. Europe, 571 millions. Uh, but once there were none... And then the meeting happened on the Gaza road. Who knows what's coming next, isn't it? All you know is, as long as you're here, Philippa, Philip, the Lord can use people like us who are pretty rubbish at being normal most of the time. But he has a plan, and the gospel will advance until that day when he wraps it up and he goes, Hi, how are you doing? Great to see you in person, yeah? That day's a coming. That day is coming. So this is us. If you're a Christian this morning, this is your life. You're not in charge. He's got it. Let him have it. See what happens. If you're not, ask him. He's waiting. He died on that cross for you. Jump in. And let's go. Let's go. Let's live with him. In Jesus' name. Amen.